The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to the Measure Success Podcast, where we feature top leaders on how they measure success in their business and life. Now, let's learn from their experiences. Jay Cox here, and I'm the host of the Measure Success Podcast, where I talk with top leaders about effective strategies that inspire success. This episode is brought to you by 40 Strategy. At 40 Strategy, we work with CEOs and their leadership to help them reach to their next destination level by maximizing their people, process, and systems as one effective team. If you'd like to learn more, please go to 40strategy.com. Before we talk about our guest here, I'd like to do a little shout out to a common friend that we have, which is John Foster, one of my longtime friends, and we recently ran our first marathon together in San Diego. John is also the president of Maristar, where he has been very kind enough to share his community of friends. And thank you, John, for the guest here. And we have here is Mac Levere. Mac is the president and CEO of Gear Up Sports based in Hillsborough. Mac's company is responsible for creating our podcast gear and shirt. And actually, we're hearing we're here today and we love it. Thank you, Mac. He is a Montana State University grad with a BS in industrial, (laughs) exactly, in industrial and management engineering. He started his career at Tektronics, which at one time, Tektronics was the largest employer in Oregon for a long period of time for 14 years, then moved to Radisys. We're in multiple roles, including VP and GM of embedded products and hardware services. He's also an investor in the Oregon Venture Fund and an executive MBA from the University of Washington, Go Dogs. Mac, welcome to the Measure Success Podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit more about Gear Up Sports, that's your core business, what you're involved in today. What is that and what do you do? Yeah, probably good to just start from the beginning. If any business is kind of like, where did you start? So for me, grew up with an athletic background. Shout out to John Foster. Obviously went to school with him, played, played ball together. And um, one of those things that when I got uh, out of college and was done playing sports in college, I got to Portland, working for Tektronics and had fortunately have a couple of awesome kids and found myself coaching and on youth sports boards. And as part of that, found that dealing with uniforms and apparel was a huge nightmare for the board. And uh, so me and along with a couple other now founding partners of the company went about trying to solve problems so that we didn't have this headache and created kind of a sustainable business of these youth nonprofits. So think of little leagues, youth football boards, youth basketball, et cetera. And we were on all of them. We were on four or five of these things. So we built a e-commerce platform that is the core of Europe sports and has evolved today to do a direct, what we call direct to athletes. So the parent takes on the role of ordering their uniforms and apparel, and it ships directly to their house in two weeks or, or less. This takes about 200 hours, volunteer hours off the boards. So it uh, makes a, a youth nonprofit more sustainable by not having to have as many volunteers um, on the board. So it takes that, uh, alleviates that burden from there. And then provides the advantage to parents is that they're able to get the right size instead of coming home with a uniform that some coach tried to size up. All of us are, especially us dads that are coaches, I mean, we're working on coaching and the uniform is the last thing you hand out. Poor kid that's a youth small might have came home with a youth XL jersey, right? So this allows the parents to select the right uniform, pick their number, put their last name, customize, and it goes right to their house anywhere in America in two weeks or less. So from 
that's a huge change, right? So once again, I, somebody, I actually coached 25 seasons. I don't know if you knew this, Mac, um, 25 seasons of youth sports. And, okay, yeah. and, and so this was a massive problems on a regular basis. And, and sometimes even worse, depending on your organization, you would get caught up in and overpaying on a regular basis, yeah. right? For, for uniforms that didn't fit well, they didn't look good. You know, you're buying from the same supplier year and after year and, and you were had this sometimes inferior gear, right? Compared to everybody else that that's there. But you now have created this where it, oh, and by the way, the, the try on method was typically like, right? With a bunch of, bunch of coaches where we didn't either know or care. <laughs> And sizing oh, it up, you, you and I are right there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. You don't, you know, well, I, I guess it fits, you know, Timmy, you know, you're, you're, you know, your uniform, then they look, you know, I got this completely oversized uniform that they're wearing during the entire season. So I'm, I'm curious about that of here. Now you've, you've replaced it to now the parents are actually ordering this. Tell me a little bit more is, is in that 200 volunteer hours that, that actually seems pretty legitimate of how much it's pulled out of there. What has been the experience now? I've got to imagine that people are flocking towards this type of result. And, and are, are a lot of other people heading and doing this as a, as a solution as well? Yeah, it, it's interesting for us. So we started the model in 2009 and we spent about, I'd say, six or seven years really investing in it while we were all working in, in industry and in the tech industry. And one of the partners is in banking and one of them in, was in uh, healthcare. But we, you know, so we kind of incubated the concept because it was hard for us to believe that, you know, a few dads here on a, on a youth sports boards in, in Portland, Oregon, right, could figure out a unique concept. And so we, we just, you know, incubated the concept and understood, you know, what are the true customer wants and needs and the true customer, for, there's really two customers for us. There's the league, the youth sports board that's running the organization and usually making the buying decisions on a uniform and apparel. And then there's the that's involved, who's kind of a secondary customer, but they're the receiver of the product. And so you hear about youth sports boards having a hard time just finding volunteers because, you know, things like registration and fields and uniforms taking, consuming all this time. No, none of us have more time. And so what we went about is trying to figure out a business solution for how we solve for our own personal, you know, gain on these uh, nonprofit boards. How do we make a sustainable youth sports uh, nonprofit board? And uh, this was our element of, hey, take the uniform board burden off. And by doing that, and we weren't sure whether it'd work or not, right? Honestly, when we set it up, you know, we spent a few thousand dollars out of our own pocket to kind of see, hey, could we make this work? And would parents actually, you know, order the uniform? Would it, could you ship it to their house? Could you figure out the logistics and supply chain, all of that piece of it? And it did. It turned out, you know, the, the leagues around us, you know, quickly said, oh, wow, you know, that's awesome. And we're doing it with a premium brand in Nike. And we're lucky that, you know, we're hometown with Nike. And, and have the right connections there to be partnered up with them. So instead of an inferior product, as you mentioned, we're delivering a premium brand at a reasonable price point, alleviating 200 uh, volunteer hours from a nonprofit board, and then allowing uh, access to parents to get fan beer to be able to support their kid at the field, which in most models is kind of an ad hoc at best ability to be able to get a sweatshirt with your league's logo and get it to your house in a reasonable amount of time. So it kind of just all, it was one of those unique things that you hear, you know, you kind of stumble into it. And then you realize at the end of the day, everybody's asking us this question is how do we, how do we get on this? And you realize, wow, this is a six to $8 billion market, right? And nobody, and we're, we basically opened the door and created this new market. And so that's what we've, you know, we operated till about 2017, funding this, this business and this item with some folks and, and setting the strategy. But the founding partners really didn't come into the business until about 2017. And it's been at that point where we decided, hey, this is a, 
This is a unique idea. We're creating a market and this is a, you know, multi-billion dollar market of which we've got the strategy and, and the secret sauce, so to speak, to really get after it. That's what we've been doing. We've been wow. very fortunate. Wow. And, and so it doesn't matter how, geographically, can you serve anybody throughout the U.S.? We're in all, all 50 states. Got yep. it. Yep. Yep. Yeah. We got customers in Fairbanks, Alaska and customers, customers in Dallas, Texas. Yeah. All over. And how has, how, I'm kind of curious, how has your marketing efforts worked? You know, how have you gotten these very discreet, right, boards, right, of people doing volunteer time? How have you gotten to their mind share that this is a good solution for them? Yeah, (laughs) that's, this is one that nobody believes this on because this is a a new concept and a new model with a direct parent uniform going. And, you know, parent, the other piece of it is, you know, you can lose a uniform. All of us have, you know, our kid leaves it at the field or it gets, you know, the dog eats it or whatever. So our model's geared up all season long. You can order your uniform replacement, have it shipped to your house anywhere in America. So this isn't just a one and done. And you mentioned that when you were doing uniforms, it's expensive because the old process, if we step back and kind of look at the old way of doing things, it's a batch process. There's 15,000 mom and pop screen printers. The boards went down there with a list, usually a spreadsheet or a couple pieces of paper and said, here's all my uniforms I need. And you plunk down as a, as a nonprofit board, your money up front and paid for those 300 uniforms or whatever. And then hopefully in three, four, five weeks, you got them, you got them out to the coaches, coaches then distributed them uh, to the players. And then somebody's didn't fit or something happened. And so you had extras that you bought that are sitting in somebody's trunk or closet or storage shed or whatever. So there's all this wasted nonprofit dollars set up in the system. And then you'd have to go back and you'd have to buy a couple extra uniforms. Well, those uniforms aren't 30 or $40. They're now $200 because you're going to print three or four of them. Right? right. So that's part of our model is just being set up to be able to, we, we're big on lean. So background in, in lean manufacturing, lean supply chain. So everything we do is thinking about single piece and single piece flow. And so that we just extended that all the way through the supply chain from parent order all the way to deliver to be single piece flow. I love that. You're speaking my language of, of lean manufacturing, the single piece flow. It's, it's fascinating how many people don't understand that that is truly the fastest and, and most effective way, but we get so caught up in our traditional batch manufacturing even today. Right. Yeah. And, and so you, you, it provides an opportunity for value, value creation. That's right. That's right. I love that idea of, I, I can think of how many times where either myself, my personal uniform or our kids uniform had such, um, they were like, say a white, white baseball, right. And, and yep. all of a sudden you get a bunch of blood or dirt all over it and you can't get it out, but you're saying yeah. this is a relatively simple solution, right. For them, they could just literally, if they choose to, they could reorder another pair at, at a reasonable price, get it ideally, you know, not by the end of the season, they could get it at a reasonable time period. I am. How do you deal with the, you know, traditionally, a lot of times people would pay their the registration and then yep. the uniform would be included in the price, right? That's yep. included. Is there an ability to have like discount codes or subscription or things of that nature? So then, cause I, I got to imagine there's some cases where not everybody, everybody can afford, right. Or they have yep. the ability to be able to do some of this stuff. So how does that get resolved? Yeah, for us. So first part is kind of tackling your question is about just the payment process. And you're right. Most of the time, um, historically the the league has rolled up a total fee registration fee and that includes your uniform and those sorts of things all we've done is basically make the uniform piece of it as a variable expense for leagues so if they were paying 150 dollars to pay play youth baseball 
and the uniform is $30, we're telling the league that you should, you know, lower the cost to $120 and move the $30 is the uniform cost and they're buying it directly from us. The advantage to the league then is it's actually a cost savings for them because they're not then storing an extra $2,000 worth of spare uniforms in a storage shed, not knowing the sizes and those sorts of things. So that's where really, so we make it a variable cost. Now, I kind of skipped over your earlier question about marketing. We don't spend any money on marketing up to them. In fact, wow. we just added our first digital marketing manager to the company about six months ago. And uh, so that we start ranking in Google, but ours has been word of mouth. You know, we've been growing 75 to 100% a year for multiple years, simply from word of mouth across the country. Wow. And so for us, it's about a coordinated effort of bringing out the whole lean process, whether it's a selling process or the manufacturing process, the delivery process, but bringing that all up in lockstep as you grow at that rapid rate. So, so marketing is one of the areas we're now focused on and start, we knew we would get to that point. So you'll start seeing us rank in Google and Google search and those sorts of things. But we're very fortunate that the model kind of sells itself. And that if you've been on a youth sports nonprofit board and you say, Hey, I can, I, you know, what is one of your big headache uniforms is going to be at the very top of the list. And so if you can take that off a youth sports board and make it reasonable in terms of cost-effective solution, which we do that it's a pretty easy selling process for us. I just, I, I think of the times I'd be spending in the football equipment shed trying to, do we have enough of these colored jersey? Yeah. <laughs> or in your living room, pile, piles in your living room, right? Yeah. That's where, that's, that's where the Europe sports uh, idea incubated for several of us founders is if we all had different colored jerseys in our uniforms and calling each other, Hey, do you have a youth medium? No, I don't. Right. So. Yeah. Well, even you described something else, which is the waste of all of a sudden you have inventory and you literally have a shed for the sole purpose of carrying, you know, or maybe there's equipment, of course, as well, yeah. but the uniforms themselves. And, and, and then, of course, they fade, they get different colors, but I just love the concept of, of making it easier, right, for them being able to create a pass along. And then that savings cost, as you mentioned, right, be able to help make it direct to go towards there. So, so now... So now you have the, the, the digital marketing thing. As I said, you just kind of started. Do you anticipate, as I, I know it always gets a little bit harder to grow as you grow, right? Your percentage yep. growth. Yep. But do you see that? Is, is that playing a real part now of, of getting more people to become aware of who you are? Yeah, I would say we're incubating it. We know digital marketing and marketing in our company is going to be very, very important over the next three to five years. And so we're kind of afforded the luxury, so to speak, to go test and run experiments right now. What works, what doesn't work, you know, organic search, paid search, you know, direct. We have some that's direct, you know, we go to tournaments, we sponsor tournaments, we sponsor track meet, you know, those sorts of things. So there's all the different aspects of marketing. So so often I think we get pigeonholed a little bit on the marketing of it. it is only this because we are a digital economy as a country, but there's a lot of aspects of, of marketing. And so we're exploring, okay, what are the right ones? And we think it's going to be a combination of, of several that are going to allow us to, to keep it the growth rate that, you know, kind of the, whether it's high double digits or it, it's um, triple digit growth rate for quite some time. And that's what we have in the company. Uh, then the flip side of that is obviously you got to be able to deliver. Right. So supply chain, logistics, manufacturing capabilities, those sorts of things also got to come in lockstep. And so that's where we spend a lot of time kind of understanding, OK, what is the growth rate of the company from a sales and marketing perspective? And how's that aligned to the delivery capabilities of the company? So speaking of that, obviously, supply chain has been a massive challenge, right? You know, right yep. now for for 
most companies out there yep. in one way, shape or form, right? Yep. Whether it's you're getting your, you know, your green stopper and your Starbucks drink to, you know, <clears throat> getting, getting your Christmas gift, <laughs> if you may, you know, there's been massive challenges in supply chains. What have you seen on your side and how have you helped manage that? Yeah, I would say, and for us, we, we don't think we're through this. We think we're another six to nine months, maybe 12 months as a, as a country. In certain certain sectors can be better than other sectors. But if you look at, you know, uniforms and apparel, generally speaking, you know, coming from an Asian source supply chain in the, in the margin profile at the vendor, the creator level is not super high. So it's not like, you know, Intel chips coming from, from Asia or something like that, where you can afford to fly them in. So we, for us, we've made big, bold bets. So we believe in the company. You know, when the COVID crisis happened, we doubled down and, and believing that, um, I use an example of my dad started, he's big into trapping moles. He's got 10 acres. He's got a lot of moles. And when my dad, two weeks into COVID and the shutdown, couldn't go down to the hardware store and get mole traps and figured out how to get on Amazon. And they were delivering mole traps, you know, in two days to his house. In, in rural Lakewood, Washington. I knew that that was a huge advantage for us. And, and frankly, we, that was part of the thing that we doubled down on as a leadership team saying, hey, this is going to be painful because schools are going to shut down and sports are going to shut down. But this is an accelerator in the medium to long term for our business model direct to consumer because everybody's going to get a quick dose of it and then they're going to jump on board because that's the only way we're going to be able to get products. And, and it played out, fortunately, how we thought. And so coming out of covid we invested in our people, we invested in, in new facilities, we invested in our tech platform, and we're continuing to, that will keep us moving for the next three to five years at the growth rate we're going. And you have to make those big, bold investments inventory with our supply chain partners, because if you cut back on your inventory, you're not getting any product out. And so while we're not perfect, we don't have you know as, as much inventory as we'd like to have, we're better off than most in the in, uh, industry. Interesting. Interesting. It's super. Yeah. I, I, it is interesting how you were able to take advantage of your model. Right. And, and, and as you said, double down on it when, when people were uncomfortable getting where I love the mole comparison, by the way, cause I literally had trouble finding mole traps as well. <laughs> they were totally gone sometimes. Yep. And, and so, yeah, just, it, it is though, it literally taking advantage, not taking advantage is the wrong thing to say. Um, seeing the market opportunity and not being afraid of it, but, but investing in it, right. Where all of a sudden now more and more people are comfortable with this, that they wouldn't have been comfortable in the past. Right. Yeah. The, the other um, thing I mentioned is that it, for us and our customers, youth sports nonprofit board is like the target center target for our, who we're trying to help. And I think it's really important as you have a business model that you're really trying to do, do greater good. Right. And if you're doing greater good, which we're trying to, you know, make youth sports, we really believe in youth sports and the life lessons taught through youth sports. And so how do we make that more sustainable? Well, by alleviating 200 volunteer hours and making it less expensive is kind of our contribution with a business model to society. And so the piece that we bring also is making it with COVID, everything shut down. And if you were not doing our model, you likely were, if you were at spring sports season, you bought all your uniforms and you're stuck on them. A lot of those program, youth sports programs went bankrupt because mm. they'd already paid for the uniforms and you can't, there's no season. They had to refund money. Whereas in our model, it's a variable cost structure that's moved to the parent, right? And at least at the end of the day, if a COVID situation happened, we're, we allowed returns and or the parents just kept the shirt and, and now they got a dry fit shirt with a number on it that the kid wears to school, right? That's really fascinating. I wasn't aware of that. Were the organizations that ended up going out of business through through that COVID spiel, like meaning the, the youth sports organizations or other related type events? 
Yeah, there, there was a, a lot. And I don't know an exact statistic because it kind of moves around. And, and I think some were maybe you know down for a year or two and are trying to rebuild up or they combined with other uh, neighboring organizations. But it was a noticeable decline. At a macro level, we don't see that. You always hear the doom and gloom about youth sports and the declining participation rates and those sorts of things. Not sure if I really believe at a macro level that that's really happening. It's it tends to be getting spread across a lot more activities, though. That, yeah, that's an interesting perspective of that of the of the. I think there's certain sports right have taken some decline, like you know, like the traditional football right participation yeah. numbers have been have been down from perhaps 15, 20 years ago. But but we have we have a daughter and one daughter was in volleyball sports a decade ago, and now is currently in soccer. And they're not just doing locally now; they are. They have a very well organized national level, right? That's yeah. that's happening. I know this is the way in many other sports, from softball to baseball, et cetera. Yeah, it seems to be at a whole different level. And actually, I'd argue that the investment's even greater in these sports than they used to be in the past. Yeah. Well, and you know, and you know, the case in point, you could say football, tackle football, yes, is definitely down. But you've seen the rise of flight football, youth flight football across the country, which is, you know, now you know, probably a million or more, you know, athletes playing youth flag football. And so, and seven on seven and shell and those sorts of things. So, you know, in aggregate, I think a lot of times in, you know, the media precipitates kind of a negative portrayal of, you know, Hey, it's all doom and gloom. And, you know, we kind of always look at the optimistic side of it. It's like, you know, we're all here trying to try and do good things. We have kids, we want our kids active. And I think that's, you know, healthy thing for America of, of youth sports and rec sports and, you know, really teaches those life lessons that, that we need later in life. Absolutely. Yeah, I totally agree. So how do you measure success in your business? Yeah, kind of cliche, but for us, really about people. And so, you know, one of the things that we say uh, internally is that it's biz- business is sports for old people and uh, that there's a scoreboard, right? You know, whether you're winning or losing and uh, it allows us when we're, when you can't run, I was a, a distance runner and, and now I'm I'm forced to hike and, and walk just because, you know, you get, I get injured if I do too much of the running. I know you and John were just recently on a marathon. I wish I could do that, but, you know, if I was trained for a marathon, I'd be hurt in about three days. So, but business, I find, gives you that same adrenaline rush. There's a scoreboard. You've got your metrics. You know whether you're winning or losing. There's generally speaking, there's competition somewhere in the market. And, and you're putting together your team, right? And that's where it comes into about people. I would say schoolyard pick them in, in elementary school. And you went out there and, and, you know, you had a bunch of buddies and there's boys and girls there and you're going to play tag or you're going to do whatever it is on the schoolyard. And you picked a couple of captains and then you, you know, tried to divide up teams in, evenly, but you're trying to get not necessarily the best um, people on your team. You're trying to get the most cohesive people on your team right, to win. And so for us, we look at that the same way at Gear Up is that we're trying to build the best team uh, that we possibly can across all our functions and organizations for the long haul of the business, right? And where we see, you know, success is where our people are moving up. So the, one of the most delighting things of the leadership team we had the other day is we had a couple of people that moved out of our warehouse team and into our e-commerce platform team. And that was awesome. And so we were able to promote from within and move some people that that was their objective and goal. They wanted to get into, you know, that kind of, and their comment was, we never thought that we'd have that type of opportunity. You know, we thought that we'd kind of gotten pigeonholed, whatever. And it's like, no, no, we, we want to look at what are the hopes and dreams of the individual and how do we move them to where they want to be? Sometimes that's in our company. Sometimes it's elsewhere. We had another person, our attrition rate, we're very fortunate is, is very, very low, but we had a person the other day that had an opportunity that they commute in, you know, roughly an hour to work. And um, they're growing in our company and, and we have high hopes for where they could be. 
but you know, their hometown is an hour away, their family's close to that. They have an opportunity to go to a great company that's um, you know, about 15, 20 minutes from where they work. And we know some of the people that are at that company. We're like, that is awesome, right? If they're always welcome back, we'd love to have them back. But frankly, doing what's right for the people, you know, for us, that's going to help us be successful as well. Yeah, yeah. I love that. I love the way how you consider that measurement of it and and the concepts around of trying to make sure that the, the people side, because that that is, is what still drives your business. Despite the digital platform behind what's taking place, you obviously have a care for who they are and, and helping to grow them. I, I love that. That measurement that you had is that's part of the success of what you do. So you, you have if a we lot. Don't take, if we don't take care of people, we're a people business. I mean, we don't take care of people. We can't output products. We can't take care of customers. I mean, it, it all comes down to people. Yeah. Particularly in today's environment, I mean, I I believe in this for a long time, and our leadership team does as well. But uh, you know, in today's environment, with the constraints in the in the hiring environment, stuff like that, if you're not taking care of people, you're in real trouble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. And I also loved it too how you're willing to let go people comfortably and say they're welcome to come back if they're willing to leave. You know, I think a lot of people make a mistake and they get um, so frustrated by somebody leaving, they don't look at the big picture in the long term. And, and yep. recognize, hey, they might end up coming back anyways, right? Because that yep. other company wasn't the same type of culture fit that you have. And 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 maybe this is the best for them and their family. They get an hour and a half to be back with their family, you know, to to be present. Shouldn't yep. we want something like that? And yep. and so so now speak turn around to you a bit. I know you have once again a lot going on in your life and different things you have taking place. How do you keep your own? self-mental discipline to, to help make sure you're, you're giving it your best on a regular basis. Yeah. I think that starts with mortality uh, a little bit, which all of us kind of learned with COVID here a little bit is that, you know, I'm fortunate that, you know, I've had a great, um, my life has been awesome, honestly. I, I love, you know, the opportunities I've had. I'm a small town kid, you know, live 30 miles out of, out of town. Great, grew up with great mom and dad, good life lessons, got to play sports, was fortunate to play sports in high, in high school and college. Smart enough to get an engineering de- degree, which um, I have an industrial engineering degree, which my wife calls an imaginary engineering degree because she's an electrical engineer. So, so anyways, smart enough to get through school, get a great job. Got two kids that are out of the house and, and my wife and I, we were out yesterday with our youngest out to the beach and we're talking about their lives and seeing them kind of set sail and, and do great things for themselves. And uh, for me, that just, we step back. It's like, wow, we're so blessed to, to be able to be in this spot and uh, to be able to do gear up, having been in the corporate world for, you know, 20 plus years, and then to do our own kind of startup and company has been awesome. I wake up energized every morning. You know, you, I always say to people that you should never have a job where you feel like you wake up in the morning and it's a beating and, you, you know, I have to go to work. I, I get up in the morning. I want to go to work, right? Now, the flip side of that is that, you know, I also feel that your job shouldn't take be all-consuming. So I feel in, in Gear Up, that we're doing great things here. We're moving at a really rapid pace. Uh, we're learning every day. For me, that's a, a key is, is in my learning and, and growing. I learned tons of stuff, particularly in the startup world that, you know, a big company, you're like, well, I had seven people that I just asked and they'd go do that. In startup world, that doesn't happen. You know, we're about a hundred people now. We still are in that situation where sometimes you got to go out and print shirts yourself and you learn on the floor, you know, what really happens. But it, it's one of those things you just got to love what you do. Right. And um, if you don't love what you do, you should really, you know, life's short. COVID's you know, proven that for some of us. And unfortunately, yeah, you know, some of us have, have been taken before the, their time. And so that kind of is uh, that mortality is that you should get up every day, loving what you do, you know, 
enjoy your family, do the things that, you know, make you happy. And, um, and hopefully you can earn a living along the way. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. No, that's, that's, thank you. Thanks for sharing that. I think that's really good insights. So Mac, I always like to ask people, you know, what's their favorite book? You, you have a different approach because you, you've been a voracious reader in the past and now, now you have a different context. What, what do you recommend that people should be doing to, to learn on a consistent basis? Yeah, I mean, learning and growing is really important. I, I mentioned that to you earlier as we were talking is that I used to read all the books and, you know, a book a week or a couple books a month and things like that. And I, I got a while into it after doing that for years and realized that I'm reading pretty much the same book over and over and over again, just on different topics. So for me, I take a little different approach. I really like, I, I, I'm a, a VC investor, so I'm a member of the Oregon Venture Fund. And I've been in that for a few years now, and you get to see a lot of different business models and perspectives and, and pitches and those sorts of things. I learned tremendously from other entrepreneurs and business leaders, both the people in the fund that have had broad business backgrounds, as well as the, uh, the entrepreneurs that are coming up and trying to solve some problem that they're passionate about. Um, so I really, really enjoy that. The other one that I, I am a geek on is uh, the Wall Street Journal. And my two older kids, they have subscriptions as well, but I learn a ton from the World Wall Street Journal where, you know, you'll get this blip or that blip about some company. And then I'll do my own research into them saying, oh, what are they doing? That's an interesting business model. Who's the leader? They're thinking, you know, LinkedIn and, and social media and company websites. You can learn so much. And if you're really interested, a lot of times you can just ping those people and say, hey, I was, you know, saw you in the Wall Street Journal and you know, I saw this as a, how are you really doing that behind the scenes? And so we'll do a lot of that kind of networking, whether it's through people, you know, or sometimes it's just a cold call to somebody saying, hey, I really like what you're doing. You mind? That's awesome. I think that's really good insights. And I also appreciate it. the different spin, you know, compared to what we normally get. And, and I also that you take the extra step to actually reach out when you can, right, to get, get to really understand that at a deeper level, how it actually works, you know, rarely in an article or even a book, do you actually understand the deep level tactics? Yeah. Right. To actually get something done. It's like, okay, we understand the core strategy, but I can't connect the two. Right. If you can't connect the two, it doesn't actually end up getting done. Um, Mac, this has been fantastic. Where can people find out and learn more about you or your company? Yeah, gearupwithus.com is our website, and we're in all 50 states. And if you got a youth sports nonprofit and uniforms are a challenge and you you they cost too much, we'd love to speak with you and get you set up with our solution and, and rolling. Awesome. Well, Mac, this has been a pleasure to having you today on this. So thank you so much for being a guest on the Measure Success Podcast. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And all those who are listening, we're wishing you the very best at measuring your success. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Measure Success Podcast. We'll see you again next time to learn from the best. Remember to subscribe now to get future episodes.